What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, and welcome to another episode of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we focus on a different skill that you can learn to enhance your skill set, improve your marketability, diversify your career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. This episode's skill, using cognitive science to make your technical writing more interesting, or as I like to call it, not boring. As a technical writer, what does it mean to make your writing more interesting? It's a question you perhaps have never pondered, and understandably so. You spend your time ensuring that your docs are correct and easy to understand for users, not so much that the work is interesting to read. It's a comfortable approach to technical writing that's easy to get stuck in. However, it's to the detriment of our work. Enter Anne Janzer, this episode's guest and author of, well, several great books, but as we'll highlight today, Writing to be Understood, What Works and Why. In her book, Anne discovered the essential techniques to making nonfiction writing more interesting for readers, including how to use analogies effectively to illustrate unseen concepts, how to appeal to readers' innate curiosity, and how to balance humility with credibility. In this episode, Anne takes her research on making nonfiction writing more interesting and shifts the focus to how technical writers can apply the concepts as well. We discuss where technical writers may currently miss the mark in their writing, how technical writers can use cognitive science to make their writing more interesting, and small steps technical writers can take today to start applying these concepts. And as always, big shout out to Knowledge Owl, a wonderful knowledge-based software for supporting the not boring tech writer. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. How are you today? I'm fine, Jacob. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. How's Great. life in Mountain View, California? Actually, I've just moved out of Mountain View, oh, hey. California. Where is home now? Home is now on the Central Coast in San Luis oh. Obispo, so it's about three hours south from Mountain View. Um, that sounds just lovely. It really is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> that's oh, rats. A, a great environment for writing. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Anne, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. We have a, a great skill to cover together, and that is using cognitive science to make your technical writing more interesting. Yes. And, and I imagine this is a topic that a lot of our listeners are frequently thinking about, you know, because maybe if they're not writing about the most interesting subject, whether it's, <laughs> you know, how to use an API or how to perform a certain task within a software program. You know, they still have to make their writing engaging and interesting enough for them to, for readers to actually want to read through it and get the outcomes that they're looking for. And, and as we'll talk more about today, I know you recently released a book on this subject called Writing to be Understood, What Works and Why. Yes. Yeah. And to get us started, I'd love to start by talking about the inspiration behind your book. What did you notice in nonfiction writing that inspired you to write this? Well, a couple things. Um, you know, it, one of the things that I notice is that there are certain authors, um, and I'm sure this is true of, of everyone, that um, that any almost anything they write, I know that I'll pick up and enjoy reading. 
Yeah. Whereas sometimes you go into the bookstore and you get something like, "Oh, what a cool topic," and you pick it up and it's like, "Eh, okay, <laughs> it didn't, it didn't <laughs> hold my, didn't hold my interest." So that was one of the nubs of of what it really took me through, and then that clashed into another uh, inciting incident here for this book, which was that I was uh, living and working in, in uh, Silicon Valley. And I was chatting with a friend about my next book, and she said, Anne, there are so many people who write about technology um, and just just don't do a good job of explaining it to the rest of the world. So yeah. just do something about that. Um, so actually, it was really uh, technical writers and technology writers that I was thinking about when I set off on this journey for this book. But then it kind of, it kind of grew as I kept diving into the cognitive science. And I, I looked at so many of the challenges that technical writers face are the same challenges that medical writers face and science writers face and then even your favorite nonfiction authors yes yeah. you know it's we are all dealing with the same sets of issues that's exactly right Anne. and so initially the tech writer you know may not understand how this book relates to them it says nonfiction writing makes the writing more interesting maybe they think that that's not my job you know i'm, I'm supposed to be clear concise just get right to the point yep Let's talk a little bit about how this relates to technical writing. You know, I think about back whenever I was getting my undergrad in technical writing, I learned how to make my writing clear, how to make it readable. But instructors never really talked about how to make it interesting, you know, how to actually make an engaging piece for the reader. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, I think that we are we are so focused on the one half of the problem, which is, you know, we have to learn these, we work in tech, we have to learn these complex systems, right? Uh, yeah. And then we have to, you know, our job is absolutely to be clear, especially if you're writing uh, something procedural, um, you need to get out of the way. For example, if I need to ever use one of those uh, defibrillators that are hanging on the wall in the gym on someone, I don't want a lot of wordy, <laughs> right? I don't want a story. I just want like <laughs> step one, right. step two, step three, right? So, so it really depends on context. Um, but that said, um, even if you're writing documentation that is uh, fairly procedural in nature, there is often a, a component of it in which you need to teach something. It's not just step one, two, three, but you know why. You want someone to learn how this thing works so that they can then become expert in it themselves. Um, so there's teaching. There's also just the if you're trying to explain a process that is long. If this someone's going to be working on this for a while, it's not a one, two, three thing, you actually need to hold their attention yeah. long enough uh, that they're going to have success with that process. Um, you know, I think we, we serve the, as technical writers, serve the, the business who's paying your check, of course, right? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But you also have this other uh, person that you serve, and that is the reader. You have a responsibility to them uh, that they understand. So it's not just how well you explain, but it's how well they understand. And they only understand if they actually read what you've written. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I appreciate you mentioning the long-form content whenever you know it's a, it's going to be a grind for the reader. Of course, they want to get that that can outcome, whether it's you know achieving the certificates or getting that deep dive into a new subject. But if it's just a wall of text or just a numerical list, that's not very interesting. And I think about Tom Johnson, who has the phenomenal tech writing blog called I'd Rather Be Writing. He recently wrote a post where it comes to these more long-form pieces, give the reader a sense of accomplishment throughout. Yes. Like, hey, after that first section, whether it's just a gold star yeah. or maybe just a little mini quiz to say, hey, 
like you're making some great progress and I imagine that's more interesting for the writer to put together, but also more empowering for the reader as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, this really all comes down to um, trying to be, uh, have some cognitive empathy with what the reader's going through. Right? Yeah. Trying to, to, to take their perspective. And I love that the first episode of this podcast was about empathy because that is, you know, if, if, if you don't care about anything else about cognitive science, just think about being empathetic with your reader and that yes. will make you a better writer. There's just that, yeah. that right there. That's right. And listeners, if you haven't caught that episode yet, that was episode one, as Anne mentioned, with Dr. Chris Lamb. He's a professor over at UNT. We talked about how the tech writer can apply empathy to their tech writing. So taking more of a design thinking approach, just sitting down with the user or maybe giving them a call if you don't have the luxury of being with them and just saying, how can we make this this particular piece of software more useful for you? What are you looking to get out of it? And mm-hmm. you know, and you you write about, a lot about that in your book, which we'll get to dive into more here in a bit. I want to take a shift to talk about where uninteresting tech marketing um, or tech writing, forgive me, misses the mark. What are your thoughts on that, Anne? So, you know, where we miss the mark, um, I think is be you know often that we are so uh enamored with what we're doing you know if you go to work every day and if the the people are you know loving what you're doing what you're building you get excited about it um you you become immersed in it uh you learn to speak the language of it um and as you know often as a technical writer you may feel like uh you need to earn your place at the table by speaking the speak right by being Mm -hmm really expert. It's like, look at me. I have mastered all the complexities. I can ask those deep questions. I can dig deep and I understand it. Um, and, and so we surround ourselves with people speaking the same language, thinking about the same things. Um, and we just kind of forget that, um, this stuff that now comes easily to us because we are immersed in it does not come easily. Even, even the words we use don't come easily. The acronyms we use, um, that other people just have to uh, think harder about them and that's going to slow them down and uh, it's going to, you know, tire them out a little bit mentally. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one of the ways it's, it's not that we are being thoughtless. We're just excited about what we're doing and we're surrounded with people who are excited about what they're yeah. doing and, and we're being human, but, but we're kind of forgetting about, about the, that other person that we're serving. And thinking back to your time working as a tech marketing writer, were there any strategies that you adopted to build this empathy with the reader, understand the kind of work that he or she is looking for? Any tips you can share with listeners? Um, you know, I think that the most powerful, uh, and, and, and so this was, you know, there's probably eye tracking stuff and things you can do now, yeah. right? Let me just say, if you're writing for online, there's a whole bunch of tools I think that you can use to see where people are, you know, uh, bailing out of your page or things like that. Um, but I think that for me, uh, I remember the aha moments for me were always when I went to a, a trade show or a conference and I stood in the booth and I talked to people as they came by. All right. And I listened to the stories they were telling each other. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me, right? You know, I had no idea that was going on, right? <laughs> so I would just kind of listen in on the conversations yeah. around me, um, immersing myself a little bit. My first job was with a database backup and recovery uh, software. This was a long time ago. My first, uh, uh, well, not my first job, but one of my first ones. And I was uh, there, go to the shows. I listened to all these database administrators talk and I'd learn about what they joked about and what they laughed about and what they... Uh, 
um, you know, what the, the stories, the war stories they told, that was really enlightening. Um, so that the more that you understand your, uh, your target reader, the closer you can, it can get to them in a sense, uh, that the more effective, uh, you can be. I love that. And, and thinking about this topic of making the writing more interesting, do you think technical writers can at times do themselves a disservice by approaching their documentation with the attitude of, you know what, I'm just writing this just to help readers get to their end goal. It doesn't have to be engaging, cut and dry, plain, concise language. Do tech writers need to kind of rethink their approach and try to find this happy medium between, you know, sticking with our go-to plain language, concise work, but also being engaging? Yeah, I think um, I think we do. And I, I think that the... The, the misconception is that that creativity um, doesn't really belong in this field because it does. Yeah. You know, I, and I always okay. said, oh, I'm not a creative writer. I'm, you know, I just shied away from that. But of course. It's easy I mean, to fall into that trap. It mm-hmm. is so easy to make the world binary like that. Um, yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> but creativity in, in the technical writing concept might be coming up with the perfect metaphor to explain an abstract concept, mm. right? I mean, or, or creativity might be, um, you know, one of the ways that you can make your writing more interesting is to uh, plug in an unexpected example. I mean, sometimes where, where you're, you know, giving a screenshot with an example, you can choose something that is just out of left field and, and you catch people's attention. You, you just give them something that is yeah. unexpected. It makes, you know, little neurons fire somewhere in their brain that were just kind of snoozing. And say, oh, that was not in my expected pattern. What are you talking uh-huh. about? You know, right? And now they're paying attention just a little bit more. So it can be very, uh, very subtle things that you can do. But I think that, you know, what we need to do is um, when we're writing about technology, we're writing about abstract ideas. That's just, that's just what we are doing, right? Um, and so... Yeah the part of our brains that handle uh, navigating abstract concepts is the, the prefrontal cortex. You know, that's the, the front and center part of your brain. It's also the part that is in charge with uh, keeping you on task, uh, making sure that you're, I got to finish this manual or I have to finish this project or I have to, you know, do this task. Um, and so the more abstract things that we throw at it, the more we're working out. It's like working just one muscle at the gym, right? You're, yeah. just, you're just straining it and it gets tired. Uh, if you can include an unexpected metaphor, if you can include a, a, a metaphor that has some sensory imagery or something, you know, something visual or something uh, movement-wise, um, then suddenly uh, other parts of the brain are going to wake up and fire. Ooh, I can picture mm. that, or you know, right? And so now yeah. suddenly you're more of the reader's brain is paying attention. More of the reader's brain is involved, and I think. That makes you a better technical writer. I think you're going to have a better chance that people are going to read and act on, and the thing that you write is going to work for them uh, than than just being clear. I, you know, conciseness is is a is a worthy goal. Clarity, a worthy goal, but you can, in very small ways, just add this unexpected creativity. Um, and, and just, you know, try to engage more of the reader's brain than just that hardworking, you know, prefrontal cortex. Yes, I totally agree, Anne. And it's not like, you know, we introduced this metaphor and not like creative writing where we're going to dive deep into that plot, but just enough to, you know, capture the reader's attention. 
Right. And help them envision where we are, how we're starting this piece. Yeah. And then carry on with what we hope the end goal is. And listeners, um, so I hope this is encouraging for all of you, especially maybe English students listening who, you know, you may not be completely familiar with technical writing, the field itself, and maybe feeling a bit overwhelming at time. But I hope this is encouraging to hear from Miss Anne that, hey, you can still pull some of your favorite writing elements, whether that's using analogies or metaphors, and it can actually enhance your technical writing. That's wonderful, Anne. Absolutely. Yeah. I was an English major. You know, I mean, that's uh, absolutely. There's, in a sense, I never stopped doing, you know, reading and analyzing and writing what I was doing as an English major. Um, yeah. So those skills serve you in good stead. Um, so don't, don't be, don't be discouraged. Um, yeah. And in fact, you're, 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 if you feel like you're in the beginner state and that you're learning a lot about your field that you want to write in, that learning is valuable. Pay attention to what you're learning and how you're learning. Pay attention to the words that that make you think. And don't get frustrated with yourself. Highlight them and add them to a list and say, okay, these are the words I need to be careful of once I've mastered them. Yeah. Because someone else coming in, you know, if my reader, let's say my reader is just starting their job and they're not familiar with these words yet, you know, I could do them a favor by yeah. being really clear. I love that, and I appreciate you mentioning that. <laughs> so, Anne, you have a whole section of your book dedicated to helping writers make their writing not boring and of course that's just right up the alley of the not boring tech writer podcast exactly Um, what are a few strategies that writers can adopt tomorrow to start making their writing not boring i know you've you've covered some great ones of using metaphors and applying empathy really figuring out the kind of language that your readers are using what other strategies do you recommend writers can adopt Okay, so here's a, a couple. One is um, it, to to wherever you're talking about abstractions, try to add concrete, you know, concrete examples, concrete. Um, so you know, if you're writing about a a tool that does social media management, you know, then say you know, like Twitter and Facebook yeah. or whatever. I mean, it it doesn't yeah. take you that far out of your out of your uh, out of your lane to do that. Just um, or, you know, or my favorite, people just start talking about channels, you know, channel management. So not just social media. So channel, for example, text or email or something. I mean, just give no. a little clarification of something concrete. Um, that just makes it slightly more interesting. Um, but I also think, um, you know, any way that you can add humanity to your stories, and that can be... Uh, humanity in terms of being a human yourself Mm -hmm. and it's it's dodgy in product documentation it's not always appropriate to say you know this is how i feel about it you know it it takes a certain kind of company to pull that off a certain kind of employer (laughs) right think about Um, many release notes i've read in the past (laughs) (laughs) actually a lot can get through in release notes to be fair that's (laughs) right i agree so so release notes developers feel free to just you know let that let that in (laughs) (laughs) because you know actually to be fair if it humanizes the brand as long as it's you know you're not saying something offensive i mean obviously you gotta think (laughs) within sort of brand style brand style but if it humanizes the business it, it it can potentially strengthen the relationship 
And the other thing is, you know, please, um, and I'm sure that all of your writers will do this, but uh, don't don't refer to the reader as an ab- abstraction. <laughs> mm. Like the user will do this. It's like no, <laughs> don't dehumanize the reader. Whatever, <laughs> right? Um, I'm, and we've all seen things that are like this. Um, you know, it, it's just uh, go ahead and say you. You know, yeah. as long as that's within your company's style guide, and if it isn't, you should make a strong case for it being there, because. Uh, if you think about it as a reader, if I'm picking up and reading something, I don't care about this role and that role, but if but I care about me. So if you start writing, you know, you <laughs> to, to me, yeah. I'm like, oh, I care about myself. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to pay attention. That's yeah. just another, another way to sort of uh, make it more human. So wherever you can add humanity, um, and that does mean actually when you're using abstract concepts like users um, or or roles or uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Just just be careful with abstractions that involve people. If you're going to say users, then say, for example, a you know thus and such person out of thus and such company. I mean, you could you could use roles or something, but make it more make it more personal because yeah. ultimately we are all people. Um, even if we're talking about technology, um, it's it's serving a human purpose. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. And I and I've noticed, and I just most of the time just need to trust my gut. You know, at times, because I'm, I'm not naturally very technical. Like I, I started off wanting to pursue an English major. I later fell into technical uh, communication. Um, so as I started to learn more about how to be a tech writer, I started to fall into those traps of wanting to be overly technical. Yeah. Um, but really just, you know, being yourself, finding an appropriate voice that aligns with your employer, and then letting that shine in your documentation. It's yeah. a, a fine approach. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's it, it's hard to do because, like you said, there's this uh, sense that we want to fit in with the people around us. Mm-hmm. And if we're sitting in a room full of developers, we want to, we, we almost need to speak two languages. Yeah. We speak the language of the developers, and then we need to shut that off and speak the language of the people that we are writing for. Um, oh, and it's it's tricky. It's tricky because we've had we've had guests in the past talk about you know the best way to work with subject matter experts. Uh-huh. And like you said, they need to flip that switch and, hey, now now I'm talking like a developer. And then yeah. I get the information I need and I go back and now I need to talk like a user. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's a hard skill. Um, ben, you've shared some, some wonderful tips with us with how we can make it happen. Yeah, and, and part of it is simply being aware of the fact that you need to do that. Um, yeah. You know, because you, you're writing something and, you know, if you're new to the job, it's like, I want to stuff this full of uh, – of things so that my boss knows I've totally internally nailed this thing, uh-huh. um, right? And I was working with a woman who was new to a job in a new field, and she it was in the HR field, and she showed me something she was written, and it was just filled with HR speak, but the problem was it was for candidates, not for HR people. <laughs> and I think that she was just trying to say, look, you know, I, I totally get it. I belong here now. Because yeah. language is belonging, right? Language, yeah. language is a way that we signal belonging in a group. Um, so for her, I just said, why don't you try picture someone um, that you're just going to explain this to who is not in your field? And she pictured her. Uh, this was a she had a, a teenage daughter, high school daughter, very smart, probably wouldn't handle being uh, spoken down to or right, you know, because mm-hmm. high school students don't don't cut you a lot of sure. slack. You got to get to the point, but not at all familiar with HR terms. And what she came back with was so natural 
so warm and so to the point. It's like, wow, okay, so you just got to picture the right person yeah. when you're writing and, and, and forget about your coworkers who are sitting all around you for a while and picture someone entirely different. It's a yeah. challenge. I mean, it's a constant challenge, which is why it comes back to this, this empathy, the issue of uh, empathizing with your reader. Yeah, that's exactly right, Anne. And Anne, a few moments ago you mentioned style guides. Yeah. Say a solo tech writer in, in his or her company is listening to this podcast. Their boss has said, hey, we expect to bring on a few more tech writers here in the coming months. Yep. And the listener is inspired by this to ensure that, hey, as we bring in new tech writers, I'm going to ensure that they understand that, yes, while we do have a technical approach to our work, it's still human. It still needs to be written with the foundation of empathy. Yeah. For a listener who wants to inspire their peers to adopt this approach, what suggestions do you have for them? Um, so... Uh, I think, first of all, I am a, a big fan of style guides, not long, you know, multi-page, you know, things, but but I think that a style guide is going to save you trouble, even if you are the only writer, um, because the thing about a style guide is you get to hash out and argue about all of these topics just once, and then it goes in yeah. the style guide. So if someone else comes up and they're like, we, you know what, we should never use... Uh, an abbreviation or a contraction because it's too informal. You can say, well, our style guide is this, right? (laughs) Um, uh, Because I've actually had people say, oh no, we can't use contractions. Don't say don't. It has to be do not. (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Um, So, so a style guide, you get to just, you know, argue these things out once and then your review processes will be so much simpler because if someone comes back with a stylistic difference, you can say, oh, well, when we revisit the style guide next quarter, we'll look at that. (laughs) So the style guide is your friend. Um, And I think what you need to do is, uh, so this is your chance to make a case for what you want the brand voice to sound like. Um, And one way to do this, I think, is to um, just come up with two or three adjectives that you uh, that personify the brand feeling, and it's going to be different at every company. Um, you know, I uh, I was working for a while with, you know, I, I don't know what they were, but I worked with VMware, and they clearly had a certain authoritative, but uh, you know, like an authority, not authoritative, authority, and uh, you know, they're trying to be a, a high level partner. And then I was working with Box, and they were very kind of. Uh, you know, cutting edge, but younger. And, and you know, I mean, there were, it was really interesting. You could just sort of pick, they, Box actually had a great and very entertaining style guide that was sort of mm-hmm. do this, don't do this. And they just gave a couple really good examples um, of, of what they felt. And they're like, easy on the out of the box jokes. We've done, all, you know. <laughs> so, I love it. So they wrote the style guide in the style that they wanted their corporate communications to have. And yeah. then they could give it to anyone who worked with the company and you could write and it would sound like the box brand yeah. um, because it was, you know, it, it's worth doing it. It's worth um, choosing a few adjectives and then making a, a few calls on the things that people are always going to argue about. Like, you know, uh, do you use you? Do you say we? Um, do do individuals get to be named in the corporate blog or is it always the voice of the brand? Mm. Um, uh, do you uh, use the Oxford comma or not? You know, a few of those <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. Just put them all out there, argue them out, and then you're done um, for a while. That's right. Yeah. Well, Anne, 
I appreciate being on the podcast. You shared some wonderful examples with us about how we can make our, our writing more interesting. I know um, I'm particularly inspired. Uh, I know I'm not working in tech anymore, but I'm working for a company that writes a lot about public policy, and it can get really technical at times. And sometimes yep. I've struggled with, how can I make this sound interesting? And you shared yeah. some wonderful tips that I know I'm going to apply to my own work. Good. Do you Good. have any examples of not boring documentation that comes to mind so readers can go and see some real life examples. I mentioned box. Any other examples where listeners yeah. can go check out some good not boring docs? Not boring. Yeah. So um you know I go to uh if you want to look at a um uh, it, well, so lately I've been doing uh, a lot of book publishing things. So I, some of my examples come from that world, right? Um, there's a company called Vellum, which has software for making eBooks, um, and awesome. and then it has gives you then in the knowledge base the instructions for how to take these eBooks that you've formatted with them and upload them to each individual vendor, iTunes, and things. So. Uh, you got a bunch of people who are maybe, you know, a lot of them are going to be fiction writers and stuff, not necessarily super technically savvy. And you're asking them to navigate all of these different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So I'm thinking, let's see, you know, I remember that they did a really clear and wonderful job of doing this. It's all in an online knowledge base. Um, but you can go uh, click through and, and they just do, again, it's, it's super clear, a lot of white space, you know, do this step, screen image, but, but again, a very approachable tone and style and very um i think they're very reassuring somehow that comes yes. because again think about the, the author at this point they're really nervous if they're self-pubbing and they're they're putting up a a book on amazon or sending a book to itunes uh -huh. it, it can be nerve-wracking at one point they want to let you know and it's going to take could take a little while and then a little coffee cup icon you know i mean just yeah. right, those little things that just made it just that much more friendly that much more approachable um, so I thought they did a, a, a really great job with that. It's a Mac software uh, thing. Um, now how do you spell that? I'm going to make sure I include that in the show notes for listeners. V-E-L-L-U-M is there the name of the software, but I think their website has something else added to it. I have cool. to know what that is. But um, yeah, just go through and just take a look. at It's just because it is an inherently um, – Vellum.pub, I guess, is their site. Vellum.pub. It's an inherently awesome. complicated – thing to, to upload your books they have just you know task by task what what do you do um here's how you upload it to amazon here's how you upload it to this here's how you test it um but somehow it didn't seem overwhelming so i thought that's an exceptional job of yeah. <laughs> documenting a, a hairy process you know? <laughs> vellum.pub and listeners will make sure to include them in the show notes to see the example that miss ann's referring to great awesome well ann Thanks so much for being on the podcast. This has been an absolute joy. Oh, thanks for having me. A lot of fun. I yes. always talking about technical writing and its, uh, its challenges. <laughs> yes, yes. And if anyone wants to connect with you online, and most important, learn more about the wonderful book that you released recently, um, where can people connect with you? Sure. So the best place is probably my website, which is my name, Ann Janzer, A-N-N-E, silent E, Janzer.com. Um, and from there, you can see uh, my books, and I have a, a blog with writing practices. I send every other every every oh, other cool. week a blog, cool. a writing related blog. Um, and also, there's a contact form, or you can just email me at ann at annchancer .com. Um, I'm happy to answer questions or or uh, chat with anyone about your your thoughts on technical writing. Awesome.
Well, Anne, thank you so much. This has been a joy. We'll yes. chat very soon. Thanks, Jacob. I appreciate the chance to be yeah. here. <laughs> Bye, Anne. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you are vibing with the contents, please subscribe to the Not Boring Tech Writer on iTunes. And again, big shout out to Knowledge Owl, knowledge-based software for supporting the Not Boring Tech Writer podcast. And we will chat very soon.